and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. Come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning filled with all kinds of dog training information, dog information, animal information. You're going to want to check it out. And speaking of checking things out, find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Yes, now we have a great show lined up. Our first segment today is going to be getting your puppy out of the crate. What does it take to get them out of the crate, transitioning to just being out in your house? We're going to talk more about that. Then comes a segment on keeping calm in the car. How to keep your dog cool and collected, not reacting at distractions. Maybe your dog gets a little nauseous in the car. (laughs) We'll talk about some tips and tricks to curbing those things. Then comes the breed of the week, followed by the listener Q&A. Hey, if you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, keep them coming at me. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Doesn't matter if it's dog-related, animal-related, throw it my way. And speaking of giving some suggestions, hey, I really want to say thank you to some of the listeners out there that have been reaching out to me through email, uh, also reaching out through Instagram, giving some awesome ideas for some segments for the show, as well as those questions and everything. Uh, So I really want to say thank you. One of the segments today was actually an idea from one of the listeners. So, hey, if there's something you guys want to hear, if there's a, a training segment you'd love to hear about, something with dogs, Dogs you'd love to hear about. Maybe you just want to hear a specific breed for the breed of the week. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or hey, like I said, message me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Would love to hear from you. Now we're going to get the show going, but before we do, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is what kind of turtle cannot retract into its shell? Yes, what kind of turtle cannot retract into its shell? I'll give you the answer to today's question somewhere in the show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, getting your puppy out of the crate. Now, do you have a good puppy at home? Do you have an amazing puppy at home? And you think that maybe they're ready to get out of the crate? Well, you might be wrong. (laughs) You may be right, but you might be wrong. Look, I will say this. When it comes to puppies, I have a pretty black and white rule on the crate. To me, a puppy should not come out of the crate before they're a year old. That's just, that's my, that's my rule of thumb. They should be at least a year old before we start even talking about letting them out of their crate. Because here's the thing, guys. You know, let's say you do have a good dog and let's say they're doing great in their training and let's say you're ready to let them out of their crate. So what do you do? You don't crate them. You go to the store, you run some errands, you come back and you have pee and poop all over your house and you have a half destroyed couch. Now, what do you do? (laughs) We just set our training backwards, right? However, if your dog's been doing great in the crate and we crate them and we continue to crate them and there's nothing bad that can come out of that. There's only good. Look, this is the way I see it. If you continue to crate your dog when it's maybe not necessary because they're ready to handle being out of there, but you keep crating them anyway, there's no harm. If anything, all that does is strengthen and reinforce that the crate is great, right? (laughs) Crate is great. Um, However, if we let them out of the crate too early and they do mess up, they, that's a big failure and it sends us backwards in our training. So here's the thing. I've got two options. I can either keep trading, keep crating the dog and there's no option of failure or we can try taking the crate away too early and now it's a 50-50. It may be great, it may not. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I have an option that doesn't have failure and I have an option that does have the potential for failure, 
which one are we going to choose? <laughs> I mean, that's just me. I'm going to go with the one that's going to gain me guaranteed success. And that's what the crate is. Okay, if we've done it properly and all is going well with your puppy with crating, why stop it? Why stop a good thing? It's better to overdo it because no harm will come from it. But if you underdo it, well, then there's the risk of failure and sending your training backwards. Okay. So, I mean, really that nothing more should even be said about it. <laughs> That's pretty much the end right there. Uh, if now, now look, every dog's a little different, right? And I do say that I say every dog's a little different and the rules will change. Sure. There are some dogs that could be let out of the crate well before a year old and they're going to be just fine, but wouldn't it be better to overdo it? So look, I leave it up to the discretion of you because you know your dog. I don't know your dog. <laughs> but what I will say is I think there needs to be sort of a checklist. And if your puppy can meet this criteria, perfect, you know, 100%, they get 100 on their test for meeting this checklist, then sure, let's start. Let's let's talk about letting them out of the crate. So what we're going to talk about first is the checklist. Then we're going to talk about the process of getting your dog out of the crate in a successful way. So the first thing on my checklist is, does your dog willingly go into the crate every single time? Every single time, does your dog walk into that crate willingly? Did you condition it in a way that your dog wants to go in their crate? You know, Riker, my puppy, who, well, we're still creating Nemo too, but he's not a puppy. So I'd rather talk about the puppy side of it because that's what this is about. Um, Commander Riker is coming up on nine, nine months. Did I do the math right? I think he's coming up on nine months now. Man, time flies. Time flies when you're having fun. And, uh, you know, he's still in his crate. He's still in his crate when we leave the house because he's a puppy. And wouldn't you know it, guys, he goes right in his crate without a problem. Goes right in. Okay. And it's because I've given him a treat every time, almost every time. I'll skip a time here and there because I want him to still want it. You know, uh, we're not talking about that today. Uh, but the point is he goes in every time without a problem. Nemo will occasionally hesitate. Now, Nemo's not a puppy, but we're going to talk. Occasionally, he doesn't really want to go in the crate every single time because he's still learning. Uh, he's still adjusting. He's still a rescue. So, no, Nemo's not ready to come out of the crate. Riker probably is, but we're not going to do that. I'm going to keep him going in the crate because, again, no harm from it. So, anyway, sorry. Let's, let's stay on track here. Checklist. <laughs> Does your dog willingly go in the crate every time? Does your dog destroy anything in the crate? Oh, that's a big one. Does he shred the bed? Does he try to destroy the, the bottom plastic liner in the crate? Things we got to ask, right? Does he whine in the crate? Ever. Ever. I'm talking about when you leave, when you get home, when you put him in. Does your dog ever whine in the crate? Next question is, can they be in the crate comfortably for any amount of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, three hours, overnight, 12 hours. I don't want to do that ideally, but can they, are they okay with that? Next question. Do they bolt out of the crate or get overexcited immediately? Every time you come in the house, every time you go to open the door to the crate, are they too overexcited when you come home? Do they bolt out of there immediately? Next question, how do they act if you just let them be in the house unattended? Ah, that's the next step to getting our dog out of the crate. So if you're home and you go outside for five minutes to go work on work in the garden, flower beds, whatever, work on the pool, you disappear for five, 10 minutes. Does your dog care? Do they get anxious about it or do they relax and it's all good? Next question. Do they whine when anybody leaves the house? You, a friend that comes over, a spouse, 
Do they whine when you leave? Okay, these are all things. This, if you can't answer the, <laughs> I mean, if you can't answer the correct answer <laughs> to that checklist and you don't have almost, if not 100%, then your dog is not ready to come out of the crate, guys. There it is. I'm going to read through these. I'm going to go through them real quick again. Does your dog willingly go in the crate every time? Does your dog destroy things that are in the crate with them? Does your dog ever whine in the crate? Ever, ever, ever. Can they be in the crate comfortably for any amount of time? Do they bolt out of the crate immediately when you let them out or get too overexcited when you get home or get too overexcited once you let them out of the crate? How do they act if you just let them be in the house unattended? You walk out of the house, they stay in the house. Do they whine when anybody leaves, comes and goes, leaves the house? I know that's a pretty big checklist there, guys, but this is why th these are the issues that the crate solves if you do it correctly. This way, when the crate does disappear, your dog doesn't care, right? Your dog's calm. You've set them up for that success. So if your dog can meet that checklist, then maybe you can think about letting them out before a year old. Maybe that's the exception to the rule. But that's why my generalized rule of thumb is that I want it to be a year. I want your dog to have matured. I want your dog to have uh, been comfortable in the crate. I want them to condition and strengthen that behavior of the crate's not a big deal. Because what the crate does, guys, is it provides that structure when you're not there or when you're asleep, right? So... If your dog does not meet this criteria, they're not ready to be let out of the crate. No, but David, no, but David, what about? No, 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 no. <laughs> if they don't meet that checklist, they're not ready to come out of the crate. It's that, oh, but David, my daughter loves sleeping with the puppy. I don't care. I, you're not going to pull at my heartstrings because training and behavior come first. That dog's got a lot of years of life that I can sleep with your kids and we can snuggle and we can do those things, but not when they're a puppy and they need to be in their crate. Okay. Really important stuff here, guys. It really is. So let's say your dog has met these, these, you know, this criteria, my checklist, and let's say your dog's just about ready to get out of the crate. How do we start doing it? Because you don't just want to go from crate right? Your dog being in a crate to no crate. And all of a sudden you leave for work for six to eight hours, right? That's not going to go over so well. We got to take baby steps just as we always want to do with training. Uh, and look, it's, it's pretty straightforward how we do it. To me, I like to set my dog up to fail. So that way I'm setting them up to succeed. So I might pretend I'm leaving the first time, grab my keys, do my routine, and then walk out the door. Now, this is a great time if you guys have a camera inside your house, you can walk out the door, pretend like you're leaving, go sit in your car and watch what your dog does for 10 minutes. Okay, that's that's the best way to start right there is pretend you're leaving, but don't really leave and keep an eye on your dog and see what they do. Give them 10 minutes, give them a few minutes. They may pace a little, they may be unsure the first time you do it, but give them a few minutes to see if they end up giving in and relaxing, okay? Now, here's another very important detail. When you come back inside, you don't make it a big deal. This is so important. Don't make it a big deal that you're coming and going, okay? Your dog already knows you're getting your shoes on, you got your keys, you're grabbing your wallet, you're doing your, you, get, you got your purse, you're, you're doing all these things in your routine your dog is gonna pick up on. You don't need to go, okay, Fluffy, I'm leaving now. We don't need to be working them up that you're leaving and making it this huge, anxious deal that you're walking out the door. I grab my keys, I grab my stuff, and I leave. I say to my wife, love you, bye. That's it. I don't talk to my dogs when I leave. I don't make it a big deal. 
And it's same thing when I come home. I don't make it a big deal. I'll say hi to them. Hey guys, how are you? A little pat on the head, a little, you know, that's it. It's not a big deal for me to come and go. That's what we want to convey to our dogs once we are starting to let them out of the crate. It's this isn't a big deal, okay? So that's where it starts. I don't leave, but I pretend like I am. Now, let's say they do great with this. I do it a couple times and the dog's doing great. Cool, guess what? I'm gonna go to the grocery store. I'm gonna head up to the store for 30 minutes, run a a 30 minute, half an hour errand. That way it's not that long and you're gonna come back and see how it is. Again, if you have that camera inside, great opportunity to, you know, Check out what your dog's doing when you're not there. Um, But that's where it starts, 30 minutes. Then the next time, after a couple of those trips, we're going to go to lunch for an hour and a half. Let's go have lunch on the weekend. Let's go get brunch, right? Uh, See see how your dog does there. Okay, a weekend is a great time to do that. Baby steps, guys. Baby steps. This is how you get your dog comfortable with being out of the crate. Set them up to fail in order to set them up to succeed. Okay? Okay. Really, that's all there is to it. I mean, really, that's it. You're going to take baby steps. You're going to not make a big deal when you exit and enter the house, okay? You're going to take it slowly by pretending like you're leaving, going outside, and seeing what your dog does when you're leaving only for five or 10 minutes. Then we're going to extend that to a grocery store trip or a 30-minute trip to the store. Then we're going to extend it to going out to lunch on the weekends, maybe only an hour and a half, let them be home alone, okay? So on and so forth until you can extend it up to hours of being gone, But one of the biggest things I can recommend is there's a handful of notes you got to take here, guys. Number one is do not let your puppy out too early. Go back and listen to that checklist again. If your dog does not meet that criteria, they're not ready to be let out of the crate. Let's say your dog's over a year old and they're not meeting my criteria. They're not meeting those those questions that I ask. They're not ready to be let out of the crate, guys. The year old thing is sort of a general, like I said, generalized rule. Every dog is a little different. So be sure that you're paying attention to your dog's behavior and be sure that you know that they're ready to be let out of the crate. Once they are, we're going to take those baby steps. Take your time with it. Look, guys, maybe your dog's not ready. You know, maybe you leave them out for 10, 20 minutes and they get too anxious. Go back to the crate. Go backwards for a couple weeks. There's nothing wrong with that. Go back to the last place you got success. Get it for a few more weeks, then try it again. Okay, but if your dog does get anxious when you leave, does get anxious and you walk out, there's probably a couple little things adding up there. But one of the biggest ones is most likely you're not exercising your dog enough. Okay, get out there, exercise and walk your dogs. Uh, One of the best ways you can set them up to getting them out of their crate. Okay, Um, so I hope you got a little something out of that. Sort of some little tidbits there. But to me, again, it's better to overdo the crate then underdo the crate. Because if you overdo it, make sure your dog is nice and calm when you leave the house, then it should be an easier transition to getting your puppy out of the crate. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. 
the nature of training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's keeping calm in the car. A lot of people out there, I know you probably have an issue with your dog in the car. You know, whether it's your dog gets overexcited when they see something, they get overexcited when they see a dog, a person, or maybe it goes the other direction, right? Maybe the car brings out some aggressive tendencies in your dog. Maybe your dog gets aggressive when it sees other dogs, other people, uh, when it's in the vehicle. Maybe it gets a little defensive, a little protective over the vehicle, maybe protective over you. Um, Maybe your dog just plain gets nauseous in the car and throws up. (laughs) Been there, done that, it's not fun. Um, But, you know, it, it, it definitely takes a little bit of training, a little bit of work sometimes to get your dog through some of these issues. You know, now currently, look, I mean, I've dealt with whether it be aggression or or overexcitement or just the the feeling sick, whether it's client dogs or some of my own dogs in the past, some of my dogs in the present, well, one dog in the present, uh, or we may be dealing with one or more of these issues. And it can present a challenge. You know, it can present a challenge because you're trying to drive. Here's your dog in the backseat losing their mind. How do you go about dealing with this, right? How do you go about fixing this? And, you know, uh, if you've listened to my podcast recently or before, you've heard my newest addition to my pack is Captain Nemo. He is a blue tick coonhound and we adopted him. And when we adopted him, we were made aware that he, you know, he had behavioral issues. And one of the biggest issues was the car. (laughs) So much so uh, that it was an issue that someone had previously adopted him before us. And within 10 minutes of driving down the road, turned around and and, and brought him right back to the shelter, unfortunately, because of how reactive in the car he was, is, well, no, was, we're getting to was, uh, look, it's a work in progress and it was pretty intense. I mean, like, even just when we, I, look, when we walked out of the rescue, just into the parking lot and he saw a car backing out of the parking spot and rolling out, he started going nuts, put him in the car and it amplified it. Right. So some of you all out there can relate. As a matter of fact, I actually had a listener reach out and ask if I would do a segment on keeping calm in the car. So I figured why not? (laughs) So speaking of, Hey, you know, I I love the suggestions. If you guys have something you want to hear that maybe I haven't topic I haven't covered yet, or maybe something specific to one of the segments we've talked about before, please, please email me. You know, I, I love suggestions and I want to hear what you guys are maybe having some specific issues with. So please feel free to reach out to me. Questions at speakadogcast.com. You can reach out to me on Instagram at speakadogcast as well. Uh, but yeah, I just want to thank my listeners who've been giving me some suggestions and of course, giving all the great questions too. Don't forget about that listener Q&A as well, guys. If you guys have any dog training questions, any animal training questions, any animal questions in general, Email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Uh, but anyway, let's, so getting back to it, uh, keeping calm in the car. Um, yeah, so Nemo, it's been it's been a challenge, and that's why what's great about this segment today is I can tell you really my current firsthand experiences, not just stuff I've done in the past with training, uh, but how we're dealing with Nemo now, especially Nemo being as intense as he was when we first started. Okay, so yeah, you know, fixing it multiple ways we go about fixing this problem. And you guys, if you've look again, if you've listened to the, my show before, you already know what I'm going to say. What the first way we go about fixing any behavioral issue is walk your dog. That's right, guys. It always starts with a proper walk and getting that walk under control. Look, there's no such thing as magic in training, but 
I will admit the walk is about the closest darn thing you're going to get to it. Uh, it. It's the closest thing to being magical in training if you utilize it correctly. Okay. Uh, again, just have to throw it out there, have to plug again. If you haven't listened to the segments on how to properly walk your dog, please go back and check them out. A couple good ones throughout, you know, uh, really good segments on walking your dog. So you're going to want to know how to do that right and the wrong way. Want to make sure that we're doing it the right way. Uh, but really guys, that's where it starts. If you want to start working on the car and getting your dog calmer in the car, the really, it needs to start with a proper walk. Once we implement that proper walk and we're creating proper structure, then it becomes a matter of starting to bring their energy levels down, okay? Tired dogs tend to not be as anxious <laughs> as dogs that are not tired, okay? It's just like a human being. Exercise is wonderful for us, and doing it regularly, you know, we've proven not just not just the, the physical health benefits, but the mental health benefits, what it can do for us as people. Imagine what that proper exercise will do for your dog, Okay. So get them tired, get them really tired. If you, and I know it's not always ideal, but really guys, if you're going to go for a car ride, go for a walk first. Okay. And again, this is, this is the training process. I know it's not, oh, we got to throw the dog in the car and we got to go somewhere. Come on. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's the first thing guys. It starts with a good walk. Just that we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Now there's other ways we want to go about trying to tackle this before we even get in the car, before we even go for the ride. The walk is the first thing. The second thing, leave it, right? The leave it command. We want to start working on that leave it command, making sure that we're strengthening leave it when we're at home, before we go out, before there's some sort of trigger to trigger the undesired behavior in the dog. Okay. As I've talked about before with the leave it, if we can strengthen that command to a point that it almost just becomes autopilot for your dog. They hear leave it, they leave it. They know, you know, there's no, no questions. No, it doesn't take 10 redirections. Okay. If you've strengthened it enough, your dog should pretty much leave it just about every time. Now I know that's not a hundred percent. That's not always the case. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, the, the listener who suggested this segment said, you know, the leave it command only goes so far while I'm driving. <laughs> um, now, I will say, again, I still would recommend strengthening that leave it even harder, even more when you're at home using toys, using treats. Um, if your dog reacts, let's say your dog barks when it sees people walking outside, you know, walking outside the front of the house. Great time to implement the leave it. That way, now we're starting to transfer how your dog reacts in the car, barking at people. And we can work and practice the leave it while we're at home barking at people. So we can easily transfer that to the car. Okay. So again, I just, you got to strengthen that leave it command. You got to make sure your dog is really on it, really knows how to do it well, because it's only going to transfer better to the vehicle if we practice it before we get in there. Okay. So there's just another way to start with the walk, start with the leave it. Now, another thing when we ride in the car with our dogs, guys, I highly recommend that you tether your dogs. Now, how we go about tethering our dogs, whether you should use a harness, a collar, or this or that, look, it's really up for debate. You know, I know there's there's been crash studies done and things like, well, there's, there's no ideal way for a dog to be in a crash in a vehicle. I mean, that's just, that's the reality of it. There's there's no ideal way. So we're not going to get into the, deba the debate of how you should tether your dog today. We won't talk about that too much. Um, but they need to be tied down. If your dog can pace in your vehicle, if they can work themselves up, even if it's only a matter of like three feet, if they can pace back and forth at a three foot line, that's enough. That's enough for your dog to be working themselves up. Anytime a dog paces back and forth or can move like that, really, it, it just, it just, it's like, it's like coiling up a spring and then it's going to, 
you know, the spring's going to come uncoiled and we have an explosion, right? So you need to think of it as tethering as set. It's a way to settle your dog down. It's not allowing them to practice, practice an anxious or worked up behavior. Okay. So that's the first thing you need to do. Once we get to the car is you need to be tethering your dog. Now guys, you can use a, you can just leash them up to a headrest, you know, tie the head, tie the leash to the headrest. Um, there's great, you know, I have tie downs in my vehicle that I actually use the tie downs themselves. You can't really slip a leash through, but you can get a carabiner hook in the tie down. So put the carabiner hook in the tie down, tie the leash to the carabiner hook. Not only do you now have a great way to keep your dog tethered, but you can also easily get them unhooked. Um, when you know in the car if you need to in a hurry another thing about tethering really quick guys look if you don't know how to tie a slip knot there's so many youtube videos right go check it out uh learn how to tie a slip knot they're really handy because with the pull of one little you know you pull on the leash in one direction and they come untethered instantly big safety factor factor when we're working with animals you need to know how to use a slip knot because it's the safest way to tether an animal so you can easily get them undone just in case of a bad situation, okay? So throwing that out there. Uh, again, tether your dog down so they can't work themselves up, okay? Big, big important. Now look, if you have a minivan, I'm gonna throw this since I had a minivan in the past. Great thing about a minivan is if you put the seats flat and you tether them to a nice short leash, your dog really can't see out of the car. <laughs> Works to your advantage if they like to react to things because then you can just teach them to start being calm in the car first, then give them a little bit, of, then loosen up the leash to allow them to look out the window, then maybe move them to a seat. Point is you can take it slowly. You can take it baby steps. If you can make it in your vehicle so you can tether your dog so they can't just, they're, you know, their face isn't right there in the window seeing every distraction and reacting to it. If you can start slowly like that and then build them up to being able to look out the window, uh, you know, that'll help. Just kind of a little, little side note there on the tethering. Anyway, all right. So yeah, make sure you're leashing them up. Now, another thing, guys, and this is, this is not always easy, but this is, this is what I always say about training. Training's not necessarily always ideal. And what I mean by that is it's going to take time. It's going to take a setup that you're not always going to have. What I'm getting at is when you do have a dog that's reactive in a car, you need to set them up to fail. So obviously someone has to drive the car. <laughs> but what I'm getting at here is I want you to put your dog in the back seat or wherever you normally put them. Back seat's usually the best and the safest place to do it. Um, you're going to tether them in the back seat and then you're going to need a second person. And this is the non-ideal part because you don't always have a second person available for this. But this is the training side. This is where you do. You're going to have to take 30 minutes out of your day to make this happen, guys. And it's not ideal, I know. But this, like I said, it's just, it's just what training is sometimes. Um, so you have to have a second person. You need, they need to sit in the back seat with the dog. And they need to be able to redirect the dog's behavior, okay? Give you the example. When we adopted Nemo, my wife and I, you know, I, we, but we were both there for the adoption, obviously. And we knew that he was going to have issues in the car because they told us that. So my wife drove and I sat in the back seat with him. I leashed him up. I held that leash and you know, I didn't need to tether him. I was the tether, right? So I didn't have to tether him to the car because I was holding that leash. I was keeping him still. And anytime he went to react, I just made some corrections, nothing big, nothing crazy, but we had a martingale collar on and we made small corrections. And of course, once he stops reacting, I say, good boy good boy. And it was, look guys, it wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty at first. He was freaking out. I mean, 
<laughs> you talk about a reactive dog in vehicles. Nemo's picture is right. He's the, he's the po- he was the poster child, was the poster child for it. He has gotten so much better in the car. I can't even begin to explain it uh, since day one. But yeah, it wasn't pretty. You know, he's, he's oh, freaking out. And try- but I ju- I- I'm not coddling him. No, I'm using directions and corrections, using my collar, using some touch corrections, and I'm calming him down. He'd go to pop up and stand up and want to start. I'll push on his butt, tell him to sit, make a little correction with the collar and say, stay. He goes to start barking again, little correction on the collar. There's nothing wrong with this, guys. Because you know what? He ended up realizing every time I bark, I get something I don't like. Every time I stop barking, this guy tells me good boy. And less than 10 minutes, guys, less than 10 minutes... This dog went from not being able to sit still, flailing, barking, howling, to laying down next to me. Not even kidding. Less than 10 minutes. But it took me being bad. Now, was that change permanent? Absolutely not. (laughs) That was a day one win. Okay, that was a we won the battle. We haven't won the war yet, but we've won the battle today. Okay, that's what training is sometimes. And this is, this is my point. This is an ideal. Excuse me, this is an ideal. I, I can't have my wife driving the car every day that I need to take Nemo somewhere, you know? So it is a matter of sometimes of taking time, setting aside some training time to set this up. Look, I've had other clients where, uh, same thing, dog barks in the back. So I've ridden in the back of the car while they drive around and I start making corrections and redirections. And once the dog starts calming down, I start rewarding it. And then we start driving by the triggers again. And before you know it, the dog's going, wait a second. Every time I bark, I get something I don't like. Every time I stop barking, this guy just feeds me and gives me affection. Yeah, forget it. And within minutes, I was one in particular, within just, I think it was like two or three repetitions of driving by the trigger, the dog stopped and we couldn't even get the dog to react anymore with me in the car. Now to transfer that to the owner, We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. We'll swap places. This is where we get. I would swap places. I go in the front seat and I drive. The owner goes in the back and takes over. Okay. I lay that foundation. I show the owner how it's done. Then I hand off the leash and let them take over. But this is what it takes, guys. You have to be able to provide consequence and reward. You know, tell your dog, hey, I don't like it when you bark. I love it when you're quiet, though. <laughs> right? Um, But it's not always easy. And that's why we have to hit this from five angles. This is why you need to exercise your dog before you even get in the car. This is why we need to leave it command before we get in there. This is why we have to tether our dog and not let them work themselves up. You see, we have to hit this from multiple angles in order to gain success. If my dog is full of energy and going full throttle and really hyped up and I don't tether them and I didn't walk them and I don't even bring treats with me and then I put them in the back seat and I go, man, they won't calm down. No wonder (laughs) you're not giving them any other option. Okay. So think about these things. Now, sometimes maybe it is, maybe it is a struggle. Maybe you've been doing these things and you're just, you're just not quite getting there. Uh, And that happens sometimes. Some dogs are just a little more difficult than others. Some dogs have more energy than others. Okay. So if you find yourself really battling with the dog in the backseat, it's not really what I want you to, I don't want you to battle it. I want you to shut it down. Okay. Quick little corrections, quick redirections, small pieces of info, okay? Now, the worst thing we can do, the worst thing you can do is coddle them. You don't want to, as they're barking and as they're losing, you don't want to go, it's okay, no, no, it's okay. None of that. 
All your dog is thinking is you're reinforcing and strengthening that behavior. Now, we've talked about state of mind before. If you haven't listened to the segment on state of mind, be sure you go back and check it out. Really important stuff, guys, because it's all about what state of mind you're reinforcing and strengthening. And if your dog is anxious and your dog is nervous or your dog's reaction or your dog's maybe aggressing, whatever the case is, if you reinforce and give affection to that, then you're just strengthening that behavior and that state of mind. Okay. So, all right, we've talked about a lot of different aspects of this, and I know there's this this can be a lot, uh, getting a dog to stay calm in the car, okay? But if you, if you cannot set your dog up for success, right, if you know you've got to go somewhere in the car, but your dog is reacting and you really don't have time to work through it and you can't bring a second person with you, don't bring your dog. Don't bring them. Uh, set them up for success and not letting them fail right? That's really, that's a really important one. Okay. Don't bring your dog in the car and continue to let them practice that undesired behavior. Only bring them in the car if you can set it up as a training session. Because otherwise, again, we're just reinforcing that undesired stuff. Uh, now, one other option we can do, depending upon the size of your car, <laughs> depending upon the size of your dog, a crate. A crate can actually be a great option for the vehicle because, you again, this is containment. It's the same kind of concept as tethering a dog in the car. You're going to be containing them. You're not letting them work themselves up. They're in the crate. And one other great thing about the crate, we can put a cover over it. Yes, you can easily cover uh, it with a blanket or something like that. That way they can't see out. That way they can't see the triggers and they can't react. Now, this is a Band-Aid, right? This is kind of a Band-Aid. This isn't teaching the dog to stop reacting but it's a way to maybe start getting them in the car and experiencing the car without reacting a couple times or for a few weeks to just try to associate that the car doesn't mean we have to lose our mind. It's a starting point. Or maybe you have to take a long road trip and you just, you haven't, you haven't had enough time to train your dog to stop reacting. You haven't enough time to work through it. As we talked about, yeah, crate can be a great option as a bandaid. Okay. So just want to throw that one out there. Um, now getting over to the nausea side of it, <laughs> let's say your dog is nervous in the car. Let's say they don't react or maybe they just have motion sickness. Some dogs do. Some dogs just get motion sickness. Kind of stinks. Uh, look, Violet, my female golden retriever used to get motion sickness. Um, one of the best things you can do with motion sickness is slow down your driving. <laughs> I know it might seem a little obvious. Take the turns a little wide, a little slower. Okay. Um, that can really assist in calming your dog's stomach down in the car uh, if it's motion-based, right? Now, if it's anxiety-based, we're kind of going to deal with it almost the same way as, as your dog reacting with triggers. We want to exercise them. We want to get them tired, and we want them relaxed in the car. We're going to tether them so they can't work themselves up, and that way you can also contain the vomit <laughs> because you're probably going to have to roll through it a few times Okay, uh, but I, I have discovered if you slow down, if you take easier turns, if you don't drive quite as crazy, um, if you exercise them beforehand, if you get them in a good, calm state of mind, that goes a long way toward curbing nausea. Now, there's always the option to speak with your vet and get anti-nausea medicine. So, like I said, look, some dogs just get motion sickness. I do think vast majority of the time, I really do. I think vast majority of the time that that getting nausea, your dog getting sick in the car is more related to anxiety than it is the motion. And I think the anxiety mixed with the motion can sometimes really. And I think that's really 
majority of the time what that is. Uh, but it's not to say that a, a minority of the population of dogs, uh, that some dogs don't get that motion sickness. So definitely, some dogs definitely just get motion sickness. And the best way to curb that is to speak to your vet and get some anti-nausea medication. Um, but as far as how you deal with nausea, otherwise, like I said, it's a matter, I think, of slowing down. Sometimes letting your dog see out the window can get rid of the nausea. Sometimes taking away the motion, don't let your dog see out the window, can get rid of your dog being nauseous. Uh, it really depends, you know, it depends on how your dog reacts and responds. So you can also try a couple things like that, like changing their view of the vehicle, changing where they are in the car. Like I said, tethering them. Uh, those kind of things can, can also contribute toward lessening motion sickness and nausea in the car. Okay. So <laughs> sometimes there's not much you can do about it, but there, there are some things you can do about it and try it out, you know? And if you have a puppy that gets sick in the car, I've discovered puppies tend to get more motion sickness than other dogs. Part of it is I think the excitement, they work themselves up a little. Uh, but most puppies in my experience grow out of that uh, car sickness, motion sickness. So just have a little patience too. <laughs> Aren't puppies fun? Yes, they are. <laughs> That's why we love them. Uh, but anyway, guys, you know, getting back to it in a nutshell here, really the best way we can go about toward keeping calm in the car, go for a walk. First and foremost, guys, get your dogs tired, get your dogs on a proper walk, create structure and put your dog in a better mental place. If they're in a better place mentally and physically, they're more apt to stay calm in the car. And we're going to start with tethering our dogs once we get in the car. We want to make sure they're nice and relaxed. We want to make sure we're working our leave it command before we get in the car. Okay. We're in the car. We're going to tether them down with a leash. Again, not getting into the debate today of whether we use a collar or a harness or any of that kind of stuff in the vehicle, but you need to have your dog on a short tether in order to keep them from working themselves up. Okay. Then in order to work them through their issues, we're going to have to put a person in the back seat with them. Absolutely. It, it takes some time, but we've got to have that person back there being able to guide and direct that behavior, make corrections if we need to, and reward the dog once they do relax, once they do calm down, and once they stop reacting. Okay. But we definitely want to have our martingale collars on, a leash on, and have someone back there working them through it. Very important, guys. Now, one other little tip I want to give you um, with the with the, getting them calm. If they are reacting in the car and you're driving and you don't have anybody in the back seat, guys, I don't have a problem with this. Put a leash on the dog you know, on their collar and bring that leash up into the front seat with you. That way, as you're driving, as long as you're doing it safely, I don't need people turning around and looking in the back seat while they're driving. Please don't do that. Keep your eyes on the road. Uh, but you can make small corrections with a leash from the front seat. Believe it or not, nothing crazy, small corrections, guys. No problem with that. Uh, that's one way with Nemo, for example. Nemo is a very smart dog. Okay, too smart. And so anytime I wasn't in the back seat with him, he would start getting worked up again because he knew if I sat in the back seat, he stayed calm. So I brought the leash up in the front seat with me, started making a few small corrections. And before you know it, Nemo's calming down in the car. He's doing unbelievably well now. Most of the time he relaxes. Occasionally we're getting a little bit of residual whining. Uh, that's about the worst of it though. It really is. He's doing absolutely phenomenal because I've been rewarding when he's calm. And of course we punish when he's not. It's that simple, that basic consequence and reward guys. So another little tidbit, if you're driving and you can do it safely, as long as you're still concentrating on the road, you can leash up your dog from the front seat and make corrections even though they're in the back. 
Uh, don't forget, we can also use the crate in a pinch if we need to. You can put your dog in a crate, cover the crate with a blanket. That's a Band-Aid fix, right? It's not going to fix the actual problem, but it'll fix it in the short term. Okay. Um, you know, guys, keeping calm in the car, it, it's just like anything with training. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some persistence and consistency, okay? Just remember, we want to reward good behaviors and strengthen behaviors we like, like relaxing in the car. And, of course, we want to punish and decrease anything that we don't like. Uh, but as long as you follow these tidbits, get your dog tired first, go for a good walk first and foremost. You know, you shouldn't have much of a problem keeping your dog calm in the car. The answer to today's trivia question, what kind of turtle cannot retract into its shell? It's the sea turtle. I, the sea turtle. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Sholo Itzquentle. Now, the Sholo Itzquentle is a member of the non-sporting group. They come in three sizes, the toy, the miniature, and the standard size, ranging from 10 to 55 pounds. Now, they also come in the coated variety or the more well-known hairless variety. Calm, alert, and loyal, the Zolo is a sturdy and muscular dog whose unique looks may not be appealing to everyone. They are a primitive breed that can be headstrong with an assertive nature. Training from a young age is going to be very important to establish clear rules and boundaries from the start. While known for being calm and docile, they still do have a bit of energy that needs to be released. Daily walks and activities are a must, and they're also known to have a high prey drive, so care must be taken around small critters. But of course, trained well and trained from a young age, they can make a great family and companion dog. Though a relatively healthy breed, there are a few health issues to be aware of. Sometimes all three varieties, or excuse me, all three sizes, can be prone to cardiac issues. The miniature and toy breeds can be susceptible to patella luxations, and the standard size will need regular hip evaluations as well. In ancient breed, the Zolo can be traced back at least 3,000 years to the Aztec culture. Now, the Aztecs named the breed for the dog-headed god Zoloti, and the Zolo was considered sacred and was often sacrificed and buried alongside their owners to serve as protective guides in the afterlife. However, in life, the dogs were thought to have healing powers and to have the ability to ward off evil spirits. The first mention of the Zolo dogs comes from Christopher Columbus and other European explorers where they mention a strange, hairless dog in their journals. Archaeological evidence suggests that the ancestors of the Zolo made the trip with humans across the bearing landmass that once existed between Russia and Alaska. The breed found some popularity in the United States in the late 1800s when they were first entered into the AKC in 1887. Now, at this time, they were referred to as the Mexican hairless dog. Now, a second wave of popularity came in 1940 when the first and only Zolo to win an AKC championship was Chinito Jr. But soon after, the breed sort of fell off the map, so much so that the AKC deregistered the Zolo in 1959. Now today, they are a national treasure of Mexico. There are around 30,000 Zolos worldwide, and only about 1,000 of those are living in the U.S. Now the Zolo was added back to the AKC in 2011. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Cora from Palm Bay, Florida. Cora says, 
People in my neighborhood tell me I walk my dog too much. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh at that a little. She's a mixed breed that has a lot of high energy and high drive breeds in her, such as Pitbull, Australian Shepherd, some Coonhound, Rottweiler, Chow Chow, and more. So I make sure to give her plenty of exercise, and she loves her walks, as do I. Now, I'm not taking her for too long, and because the weather has been great, I take her for more walks. Is there any harm in this? Oh my goodness, Cora. First of all, I think people should just kind of mind their own business, but <laughs> that's that's another story. Take, you're taking your dog for too many walks. This is hilarious. I mean, come on. It's not like you have a tiny little toy breed here. You have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> taking for too many walks. That's a new one. I can't believe that. No, Cora, you're definitely not. Look, unless you're walking your unless you're walking your dog nine times a day for three hours at a time, which would be literally the whole day, I highly doubt you're walking your dog too much. I don't think I've ever come across a client where I've gone, wow, you're walking that dog way too much. You need to stop. Uh, I just, I'm pretty sure that's actually like literally in all the time I've been doing this, that has never happened. Um, I've never had a client walk a dog to a point of exhaustion. Never seen it. Never seen it happen. And again, I, did, did you guys heard the breeds that are in there. I heard the breeds that are in there. You should be walking your dog multiple times a day and good for you. I, Cora, I want to say thank you. Thank you for going out there and walking your dog. Thank you for putting in the time and effort. And thank you because your dog's loving it too. That's what they want. Um, it amazes me the mentality that is out there, that dogs are supposed to be these lazy, lie-about creatures that are just supposed to be pampered. It's almost like it's almost like I should be feeding them. They should be lying on their back, and I should be fanning them and popping dog treats into their mouths, right? Like that's, <laughs> I feel like that's what people think dogs want to do. And it's like, guys, it's a dog. This isn't a person. They don't want to be pampered. They want to go out and be a dog in the walk. The walk is one of the best ways to let them be a dog. So, oh my goodness. No, Corey, you are not walking your dog too much. There's no, look, the, again, the only way you could be walking your dog too much is if they're suffering heat exhaustion or you're doing it too much that they're just exhausted or you're wearing their paws down. But there's all kinds of signs of this. You know, you would know if your dog's exhausted too much. And again, hearing the breeds I'm hearing, I highly doubt that dog is going to get exhausted anytime. You're going to be tired before your dog is. So, Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm going off here, but no, 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 no. There is no harm in walking your dog. Continue being awesome. Continue giving your dog fun walks and I'm all about it. Next question. This comes from Sam from Omaha, Nebraska. Sam says, I just rescued a pit mix and she has some overexcitement and nervousness issues. She pees in the crate, which is getting a lot better already and is a bit clingy. Now, the trainer that works with the rescue told me that I should be coddling her, giving her affection, and not training her. Like, I actually said, like, she actually said I shouldn't actively be training, and I should only be giving affection. This seems to go against everything I have read and everything you say. What do you think of this? Sam, that's crazy. These are two crazy questions today. Not from you, not because of you guys. <laughs> this is crazy to me. This is crazy. A trainer that is recommending that you don't train a dog. Do you guys hear that? This is a supposed professional who is recommending that this person coddle a nervous dog. Ugh, Sam, I'm going to go ahead and guess that you haven't been coddling your dog and the peeing is getting better in the crate. That's what you said. Now, I'm going to say you probably haven't been calling because you're saying you, you know seems to go against everything you've read. So... It sounds like what you're doing is gaining you success, isn't it? 
Um, look, when you get a dog in from a rescue, nervousness, that kind of stuff, the worst thing we can do, and Sam, you already know this, so I'm just I'm just reiterating it for you. The worst thing we can do is give them coddling and affection, feel bad for them. That's the worst thing we can do. You've got to give them tough love, guys, because dogs are state of mind, right? I've talked about this. If a dog is fearful and scared and all you do is go, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, all you're doing is reinforcing that state of mind, okay? It takes some tough love, and I know it's not easy, guys. It's really not. It's not easy, but it takes some tough love to get dogs over anxiety. It really does, and it takes training, and it takes structure. Sam, you absolutely should be training your dog. You should be creating a good routine. You should be creating good structure. You should be creating good walks. And you should be creating a little tough love. And I love, it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. So I, look, I, I don't know. I don't know who this trainer is up in Nebraska and what rescue you're at, but quite frankly, they, they die. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be mean here, but it doesn't exactly sound like they know what they're talking about because I can't believe a trainer would recommend that you not train your dog. That's crazy town. Uh, I mean, that really is. So no, Sam, you absolutely, you, everything you're reading uh, is correct and go with your gut. You already know it. That's, that's why you're asking me. Cause I, I can tell you're like, this seems crazy, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, be sure you train your dog. Nothing wrong with that guys. That's what your dog needs. And that's what they're going to crave routine, structure, rules, boundaries, and affection. But we want to reserve that affection for when they're relaxed, and we want to make sure we're strengthening and reinforcing with affection and food a calm, relaxed state of mind. So do that, and you'll be on the right track to keeping your new dog uh, being calm, cool, collected, and of course not being in that grade anymore as well. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Hey, if you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me questions at speakadogcast.com or any suggestions for the show for segments or breed of the week, send them over my way. You guys have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.